Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 103, 103 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, the back in the big chair for today, April 27th, 2020. This will be our final draft coverage show. We're going to talk about what the Patriots did on day three of the NFL draft, and then I'm going to surprise for you a little bit later, some that I know a good chunk of you will be very excited about others. Once you hear what the topic is, you might want to just say, you know, call it a day. I know that's not exactly how you sell a podcast segment, but look, if you if you haven't figured it out by now, I kind of do things my own way here at the SCO Show. What can I say? As always, though, usual cavalcade of announcements here at the outset. Please follow along with the hijinks, and there are always hijinks, on the old Twitter machine. Add Mark Schofield on the Twitter machine, to be exact. You can check out the work at places like Inside the Pylon, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, not one, not two, but three, yes, one, two, three SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and of course, at Pat's Pulpit. And yes, at Touchdown Wire, where I had some day two grades that went up, going to have some post-draft power rankings going up, and a little bit more. Now, let's start first with the selections that were made by the New England Patriots on day three of the 2020 NFL Draft. Now, to catch you up, since we were together last, we were somewhat cautiously optimistic about what the New England Patriots did on day two, right? Kyle Duggar, Josh Uche, Anthony Jennings, Devin Asiasi, and Dalton Keene. Now, Yes, that is the order that they were picked, so perhaps grabbing a guy like Kyle Duggar in the second round maybe seemed to some like a bit of a reach, but they weren't sure if he was going to be there when they could get back on the clock again. Remember, they weren't picking again until 71, so they took a swing on athleticism. They took a swing on athleticism when it came to Dalton Keene when they doubled down at the tight end position. And so... It seemed like coming out of day two, we were all in a good place. And then day three happened. And day three, obviously, as much as those of us sort of in the scouting world like to think that you're going to find diamonds in the rough and everybody's going to be first on the the next great Tom Brady or Dak Prescott fourth round diamond, you know, the hit rate on picks on day three isn't exactly great. The Patriots opened it up with Justin Rohrwasser, a kicker from Marshall. And many of us saw a pick like this coming at 159. I tweeted out the picture of Nike at the dining table in Nantucket with a caption that I was stealing myself for Rodrigo Blankenship at 159. And they did go kicker. They just went with a transfer from Rhode Island to Marshall. And you sort of read about him. 44 of 46 extra point attempts, kickoffs, averaged 61 yards, including 30 touchbacks, 51 of 15 of 21 field goal attempts in 2018. You look at his numbers from 2019, two for two against Ohio, two for two against Middle Tennessee. He was 18 for 21 on the season with a lawn of 53, 62 kickoffs. Just one out of bounds. 33 of them were touchbacks. 
He was 35 of 36 on PAT attempts, just had one kick blocked. And some of the numbers seem pretty good. And that lawn of 53, he drilled that as time expired to propel Marshall to a victory over Western Kentucky. So you've got a clutch career lawn of 53 last year. So there are some good things here. Of course, that's not the entire story coming out of the post-draft process because people are talking about tattoos and his beliefs and things like that. And there are some that look at tattoos like that, look at his beliefs, or at least some of the things that he's liked on Twitter in the past and stuff. And that's becoming the story. So it sort of begs the question, like when when you make a pick like this and you sort of propel a kicker into a storyline like this, it seems like a bit of a whiff from a scouting standpoint, right? Did anybody like pull up a Google search? I know this is a weird time where they probably didn't get a chance to meet with him. You wonder about that. Now, as with most things when it comes to sports, look, winning cures all. So if the guy starts drilling game-winning kicks, makes all his extra points, is otherwise exemplary off the field, people are not going to get wound up in this. But if he starts missing kicks, look, it might become a distraction. And the last thing Bill Belichick, as we know, wants or cares for is a distraction, particularly one from the kicker. So there's that. Then in the sixth round, Michael Owenu, a guard from Michigan. And to be honest, this is a very good pick. There are a lot of people that looked at him as potentially a day two guy. John Ledyard, for example, had him as a late third rounder on his draft board. He's somebody that you watch him on tape. You look at his body of work and you see somebody that could be a very good professional. Massive type player, 6'3", 344, 34-3-8 inch arms, about as long as you will ever see at guard. And he got 26 reps of the bench up with those Sized and length of arms. That is incredible. He's just a beast inside. Will just swallow up defensive tackles. When he gets up to the second level, forget it. Linebackers don't have a prayer against him. Like Unless you just wallop him and beat him off the jump, you're not moving him into the pocket. Three years as a starter at Michigan. He's given up two sacks over the past three years. PFF in their draft guide, Oweno is one of the best phone booth guards in the class. He can match NFL power. He has yet to prove he can match NFL quickness. They had him as a round four player. They had him as player 127 on their big board. And the Patriots got him at 182. And so whatever you want to say about the kicker pick at 159, the guard pick at 182 Looks to be a great pick. Then they went offensive tackle again with Justin Heron, who they drafted out of Wake Forest. And Justin Heron is an interesting prospect at the offensive tackle position. You're talking about somebody that gave up four sacks last year. Which was the most he has ever given up. Now, he only played 
a handful of snaps, 13 snaps in 2018 because of an ACL injury. But he played over 1,000 last year, 934 the year before. Good job with his hands and pass protection. He's technically sound, and that is a very good starting place. He's not overly athletic. He's not overly powerful. But the technique is there, and that's not a bad thing to swing on at the offensive tackle position. I know I talked a little bit earlier that they're taking swings on athleticism with guys like Dalton Keene, with guys like Kyle Duggar. Taking a swing on athleticism doesn't matter so much at the offensive line when you're looking at the fact his technique is sound. Sometimes that makes a massive difference in the National Football League. Now, again, the size, the power, the athleticism is not great. 5.26 in the 40. A three cone of 8.41, which was in the fifth percentile. And interestingly enough, his hands... Under nine inch hands. Interesting for a guy that's 6'4, 308 with 33 and a half inch arms. You do sort of wonder about, you know, does he kick inside to guard? But having good technique is a solid starting point. So I'm okay with this pick. PFF had him as like a seventh round to an undrafted free agent. I'm okay with taking a swing on technique at this point in the draft. You talk about pick 195. Then Cash Malua. And I got to say, when this pick was made, it's instantly like, is this fake name? Did they, draw, did they draft the Ron Wyoming linebacker? Like, I didn't exactly know who this was. Now, three-year starter... Good against the run, attacks downhill, ran a 4.53 at his pro day, which is pretty quick. Might be somebody that could contribute on special teams. Lance Zerline, for example, graded him as a 5.16 on their grading scale, which translates out to somebody that has a chance to be in an NFL training camp. So it's not fantastic. Again, at this point in the draft... You know, we're talking about a pick at 204. Okay. And then Dustin Woodward, who I will tell you I did not do a ton of work on. I don't think anybody will really hold that against me. Dustin Woodward, the center from Memphis. Patriots drafted him at pick 230 of the draft. I remember, they lost pick 241 in that trade with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that involved Rob Gronkowski. And now... What you're getting in him, you're getting a camp body and absolute depth at the interior offensive line. He's not a player that we're going to look at and say, oh man, this guy is definitely going to be somebody that is going to be a training camp diamond, that's going to really sort of light it up during training camp and preseason, that's going to earn a starting job or anything like that. You're talking about a camp body. You're talking about somebody that... Didn't really, didn't even get a write up in PFF. Not a lot of people really knew about him. Dane Brugler had him as center 21 in the class, not interior offensive lineman 21, center 21. Started 52 games at Memphis. 
Scouts estimate apparently that he would have run the 40 in a 5.1. How they're estimating that, I I don't know. But it's at pick 230, so I'm not going to lose my mind over drafting a guy that nobody did any work on. As far as day three, look, it's it's not fantastic. And this draft as a whole, I'd say, is like a B-minus draft. I think day two was good. Day three was pretty meh. I'm higher on Kyle Duggar, I think, than most. And I'm going to be diving into him a little bit for a scheme piece for touchdown wire, so I'm excited to do that. I think day two was a very good draft, and we were all sort of excited about that. Day, th- day three, the kicker issue aside, I think the guard from Michigan is fantastic. I think the technical soundness of Heron is a very good place to start from. The last two guys are probably, look, they're picks 204 and 230. They're camp bodies. And if they get something out of these guys, fantastic. They're lottery picks at this point. Now, on the body of it, people might say, look, they didn't address wide receiver. And I get that. I get the frustration that I sense from many where you look at the wide receiver room last year. You look at where Julian Edelman is in his career. You look at the fact that you're breaking in what looks to be a second-year quarterback as your starter. And you think, what do we have to work with? Who does he have to throw to? You have Nikhil Harry and you have Julian Edelman and you have Matthew Muhammad Sanu. Matthew Slater. As basically your 11 personnel look, right? All different variations of slot receivers to some extent, which, okay. This might be a, a 12 and 21 personnel team. I mean, this, this might be a team that's going to be predicated on defense and winning those 17-14 rock fights. Again, hat tip Dave Archibald. They're looking to get tight ends here, which gets you to that 12 look. They add James Devlin back healthy, hopefully. Dan Vitale, you got to have your 21 look. I we, we can't expect this to be a team that's going to slint it 50 times a game. It's just not going to be built that way. I don't think, as much as they like Jared Stidham, I don't think that's how they're going to try to win games. They're going to be a throwback kind of offense, a throwback to the early days of Brady where he was thrown at, you know, 24, 25 times a game. You know, you look back at Brady's first year as a starter, you know, that when he comes in in that 2021 season, obviously culminates in a Super Bowl, but, you know, week 15 against Miami threw it 19 times. Week 10, and that loss, the Sunday nighter to the Rams, that gave people hope, myself included, that this was going to be a team that was better than we thought and maybe could amount to something, even though... You know, we look at it that with that loss. What was their record after they lost that game? It was just five and four. I mean, they were just an above five hundred team, barely. But people started to believe that. Look, this team is something. In that loss, he threw it twenty-seven times. You know, you're talking about attempts of 20, 21, 27, 26, 28, 28, 19. You know, it's not like he was slinging it. You know, you jump ahead to two thousand and three. 28, 25, 21. He went 8 for 21 in a win, a 17-6 win against the Giants in 2003. 
You know, that's the kind of offense we're going to see. It's not going to be the Tom Brady that was throwing it 55, 60 times a game. Now, there might be occasions when they have to do that and throw themselves back into games, and you might see Jared Stidham, provided he is the starter, have 47, 48, 50, 55 attempts in a game, but that's not what they want to be. And so the draft is a window to how teams feel about their organization. For example, talking about the Green Bay Packers, right? Packers probably believe, as an organization, that they kind of overachieved last year, right? You look at how they sort of put their draft together. Yeah, they go 13-3, and okay? But their losses, they go to San Francisco on a Sunday night in Week 12 and get blown out 37-8. You know, they lose to the Eagles. You know, a lot of their wins, for example, they beat Carolina, not a playoff team. They beat the Chiefs, but remember, that was without Mahomes. They beat the Bears, not a playoff team. They beat the Broncos, not a playoff team. They beat Dallas, not a playoff team. They beat Detroit twice, not a playoff team. The Raiders, not a playoff team. Kansas City, again, without Mahomes. Carolina, not a playoff team. The Giants, not a playoff team. The Redskins, not a playoff team. The Bears, not a playoff team. And they had two wins, unless I'm missing something, against playoff teams, and that was against Minnesota. And they get Seattle in the divisional round because they got a bye. They get Seattle in the divisional round who's coming off going to Philly to play in the wildcard game, and they win that game, Right? They win it by five. And then they go to San Francisco and lose. You look at that season, you might think, like the front office might, that they overachieved. And what they're getting ready to do is prepare for a either a post-Aaron Rodgers world or a team that's going to have to win some more rock fights. This is, they drafted A.J. Dillon. They draft Josh DeGuara, who's a fullback type of player, to run some 21 personnel, which they did 25% of the time. And so that's a window into how they think about their team. The picks that the Patriots made, a similar window. Loading up on defense, on tight ends, a kicker, offensive line, an athletic safety. They're building around Jared Stidham to win those 17-14 rock fights. Like That's who they're going to be. We might not like it. We might not be excited about it. It might not move the needle. It might not get the clicks. It might not get the listens. I might be out of a job. I'm just kidding on that last one. I got to drop that in there. I know my parents are listening. I don't want to get the, You don't want to get mom worried. Not during a global pandemic. Well, that's what this team is going to be. And so that's sort of a draft recap. It's as Belichickian a draft as it gets. And I don't know, I know why we get excited every year for the draft because it's fun anyway. What else are we going to do, especially when we're all under lockdown? But we need to sort of prepare ourselves every single year that. We have visions and grand delusions, and they are, in a sense, grand delusions, of Belichick doing some things. This is what he does. This is how he builds his teams. We shouldn't be surprised by it year in and year out. And so that's kind of a look at 2020. Up next, a bit of a surprise. That's ahead. Episode 103 of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now, and I know we've got UDFAs to get to. Look, I'm going to have takes on... The two quarterbacks, Brian Lewerke, 
Jamar Smith. I know a lot of us talked when we get into the later rounds. Kiva Tenzio, the linebacker from San Diego State, he seemed to be a common pick in late rounds. Some people are excited about J.J. Taylor. That's going to be on the other show this week. We're going to be back to two shows a week. We'll have a Thursday show for you later. We'll kind of go two shows a week until we get into sort of training camp time, whenever that is, unless I start to feel a buzz in the air. And then we can kick it back up to three. But two shows a week, I think, is a good good sort of way to handle post-draft that period of the calendar. So later this week, we're going to have more on the UDFAs. But right now, because we're all degenerates, your summer assignments, kids, that's right. Your 2021 NFL draft, way too early, way too obnoxious summer scouting watch list. Because what did I do when the draft ended Saturday night? I wrote these pieces for Touchdown Wire. 10 people to watch at each position. So here we go. Not going to get a ton of analysis on these guys, but we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. We start with the quarterbacks. You know the names at the top. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, sure. Clemson, Ohio State. You probably know what you need to know about those guys, but if you're going to be watching quarterbacks, start there. Jamie Newman from Georgia, formerly of Wake Forest, transfer, great opportunity in front of him. KG Costello, Mississippi State, formerly of Stanford. He's going to have an opportunity here to play under Mike Leach. We've seen Anthony Gordon get a UDFA gig. We saw Gardner Minshew. They're building around him in Jacksonville, so keep an eye on him. Sam Ellinger from Texas, Kellen Mond, Texas A&M, Kyle Trask, Florida, Sean Clifford, Penn State, Tanner Morgan, Minnesota, and Trey Lance from North Dakota State. 28 touchdowns, no picks. Over, He actually ran for exactly 1,100 yards, 14 touchdowns. He's a redshirt sophomore, so he'll be draft eligible. Would an FCS kid come out that early? I don't know. But if he has another year like this, look out. And the other thing to keep in mind with him is this. I'm old enough to remember the Carson Wentz Wars. I have those battle scars. Believe me, I do. And I remember watching him the summer before his senior year and being one of just a handful of absolute degenerates talking about him. Matt Waldwin and I did a show about him the Friday night before his season opener against Montana, which was the only skate game on the slate. Brett Musburger was there. It was a game at Montana. And everybody started sort of talking about this kid. I remember, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah or Dan Brugler, like the day before, saying, hey, you know, there's a game tomorrow. This once kid It's kind of interesting. It's not the case with Trey Lance. You go on Matt Miller's Instagram Saturday night. What do you see a picture of Trey Lance? There's legitimate buzz about this kid right now. And it's not even May. And as people really get to dive into him, the buzz is going to get louder. So, yeah, just just keep that in mind. Running back, interesting groups. Travis Etienne, obviously, it was a surprise he went back to Clemson. He's somebody to watch. Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma. Max Borgie from Washington State. I think he's a great sort of modern NFL back right out of the backfield. Najee Harris from Alabama. Trey Sermon, the Oklahoma product, going to Ohio State, Zamir White, Master Teague, the third, injured at Ohio State, but he should be carrying the load unless Trey Sermon comes in and takes it from him. C.J. Verdell from Oregon, Kylan Hill, Mississippi State, and Puka Williams from Kansas. Look, ATN's probably the name to watch there. Wide receivers, look, it's going to be another great group. There are some, Brad Kelly, for example, and think it could be better than this year's, which is crazy. Jamar Chase, you know. Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle, both from Alabama, 
They might have two more in the first round, believe it or not. Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. He might be better than Tyler Johnson was at Minnesota last year. Justin Ross from Clemson. Rondale Moore from Purdue. This Rondale Moore, he got hurt last year. He was the first true freshman consensus All-American in Big Ten history in 2018. He won the Paul Horning Award in 2018, given to college football's most versatile player. He is exciting. He's a LaVishka Chenault kind of player. So definitely keep an eye on him. Sage Surratt from Wake Forest. Chris Ole from Ohio State. Tamiron Terry from Florida State. Seth Williams from Auburn. And again, this stuff's over up on Touchdown Wire. So if I'm going too fast with the names, check out Touchdown Wire. You'll see these guys. These, this is your watch list. Your summer scouting. A tight end, Pratt Fire, Firemuth. Baby Gronk of Penn State. Brevin Jordan from Miami. Kyle Pitts from Florida. Matt Bushman from BYU, who I like. I was in a degenerate, you know, dynasty fantasy college football league. I just didn't have time to keep up on my one and only year. Guys like Thor, Thor Nystrom were in it. Matt Bushman was one of my favorite picks. Charlie Kolar from Ohio, Iowa State. Jake Ferguson, Wisconsin. Sean Byer from Iowa. Kate Otten from Washington. Jack Stoll from Nebraska. We get to the offensive tackles. Penay Sewo from Oregon. He might be a top five pick. Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. Samuel Cosme from Texas. Walker Little from Stanford. Alaric Johnson, Iowa. Thayer Munford, Ohio State. Daniel Filet, Minnesota. Liam Eichenberg, Notre Dame. Jackson Carmen, Clemson. Adrian Ely, Oklahoma. Getting it inside now. We start with the center that might be first rounder. Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma might be a first rounder on name alone. Trey Smith, Tennessee. Wyatt Davis from Ohio State. Deontay Brown from Alabama. Josh Myers, Tennessee. Trey Hill, Georgia. Alec Lindstrom, brother of Chris from BC. Landon Dickerson from Bama. Cade Mays was at Georgia. Transfers to Tennessee. Dad suing Georgia because of some strange folding chair injury that like severed a finger. And then Ben Brown from Mississippi. So that's offensive guys to watch. Defensively, we start with the interior guys. Marvin Wilson from Florida State. He's a gem type player. Thought he was going to come out. He's going back to school. Jalen Twyman from Pittsburgh. Tyler Shelvin from LSU. Christian Barmore from Alabama. Derry Stills from West Virginia. Jay Tefile from USC. Mustafa Johnson, Colorado. Tedderell Slayton from the from Florida. Damian Daniels, younger brother of the older Daniels, whose name I'm forgetting right now. Darren Daniels, I believe, from Nebraska. LeBron Ray from Alabama. He's been battling injuries, but when healthy. He's good to go. Edge defenders. This could be another good class. Gregory Rousseau Rousseau from Miami, who was tremendous last year. Redshirt freshman, 15.5 sacks, second most in school history. 19.5 tackles for a loss, most since Calais Campbell, who had 20.5 for the Hurricanes. Carlos Basham Jr. from Wake Forest. Xavier Thomas from Clemson. Hamilcar Rashid from Oregon State. He's also fantastic. 22.5 22.5 tackles for a loss last season, which led the nation and set a school record for the Beavers. Joe Tryon from Washington. Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. Brankeviest Big Cat Bryant from Auburn. Shaka Tony from Penn State. Quiddy Pay from Michigan. And Quincy Roche, who was at Temple, who's going to Miami. And last year, Roche, he had 13 sacks a year ago. He was third in the nation. He was also named the American Athletic Conference Defensive Player of the Year. And so now, look, you're going up against Miami. You've got Rousseau and Roach to deal with. Two of the top three guys in sacks last year. Linebacker might be my favorite group to study. K. 
Can't wait to dive into these guys. Micah Parsons from Penn State, who's absolutely legit. Like, top 10 player, I think, in this class right now. Dylan Moses from Alabama. Jack Sanborn from Wisconsin. Tough Borland, veteran player at Ohio State. And with a name like Tough, that's just fantastic. Charles Snowden from Virginia. Nate Landman from Colorado. Nick Bolton, Missouri. Deshaun White from Oklahoma. And then two guys I cannot wait to watch. First up is Chad Surratt from North Carolina. Why can't I... Why am I so excited about about watching him? He was the AP Offensive Player of the Year coming out of high school in North Carolina. And he was the Gatorade State Player of the Year coming out of high school in North Carolina as a quarterback. He made seven starts at UNC as a quarterback, threw for 1,342 yards and eight touchdowns in 2017. He switched to linebacker after the 2018 season. What did he do? His first year playing a new position. First team All-ACC, runner-up for ACC Defensive Player of the Year. 115 tackles, which led the team second most in the conference. And then there's Cox, Jabril Cox from LSU. Why am I excited about him? He was with North Dakota State for the past three years. He's a graduate transfer, two-time FCS All-American, three-time national champion. champion. Patrick Queen, Jacob Phillips, gone. He steps in. He can prove himself on the big stage. Now, we get to cornerback. You want to feel old, kids? Sean Wade, Ohio State. Eric Stokes, Georgia. Paulson Adebo from Stanford. Caleb Farley, Virginia Tech. Darion Kendrick, Clemson. Demador Lenore from Oregon. Tariq Castro-Fields, Penn State. Then, Patrick Sertan II from Alabama. Asante Samuel Jr., Florida State. J.C. Horn, South Carolina. So you get the son of Patrick Sertan who played and made Pro Bowls with the Dolphins. You get the son of, yes, Asante Samuel. And you get the son of Joe Horn, that's J.C. Horn at South Carolina. Now how old do you feel? I was putting that together Saturday night and I felt ancient. Then finally, safeties. This is going to be a fun group. Namsa Nisraldeen from Florida State. Andrew Sisco from Syracuse. Caden Stearns from Texas. Javon Holland from Oregon. Richie Grant, UCLF. Richard LeConte from Georgia. Colby Harville-Peel, Oklahoma State. Paris Ford from Pittsburgh. And a TCU tandem of Darius Washington and Trayvon Morin. Why am I including those guys? Look, PFF had Morin as the best safety in the FBS last season, and they went as far as calling his season the third most valuable in the PFF college era. He allowed just two of his 17 contested targets to be caught. His teammate Washington, PFF's second highest graded safety a season ago, allowed just five catches out of 265 coverage snaps, forced to combine seven picks and pass breakups. Those are teammates. Have fun throwing on TCU next year. And so look, there's your summer scouting watch list. Now let me advise you about summer scouting. Summer scouting is the time to make definitive takes, plant a flag, and refuse to move off that hill. No, it's not. It's a time to get a baseline on these guys and to see how they develop over the course of the next season, provided we have one. And hopefully we do, whether it's fall, spring, whatever, winter. But that's a watch list. You got lots of players now, 10 at each position to look at. So kids, go forth and have fun. That will do it for today. I will be back later this week talking some UDFA, some Brian the Werke, stuff like that. Until then, friends, please stay safe. Check in on your loved ones. Check in on your neighbors. Wash those hands. And as you do, sing along and bless those Patriots' reigns down in Buffalo.